start. It's Wednesday, September 23rd, 2020. I'm Ray Hananiya, the special U.S. correspondent for the Arab News newspaper, and you're listening to the Arab Street Radio and Podcast broadcast from Detroit, Michigan, through 690 AM WNZK Radio. This special election edition show is brought to you by the Arab News newspaper, the Middle East leading English language print newspaper with editions in Saudi Arabia, Dubai, Japan, Pakistan, France, and bureaus in London, New York, and Chicago, where I'm based. In the future, um, we're going to have a lot of shows on Wednesday. Normally, I'm on uh, the first or the second Friday of every month with special Fridays that I fill in for. Um, But from now through the election on November 3rd, the general election, we'll be doing a special uh, Arab News special election radio show here at WNZK. Um, the Arab Street Radio and Podcast is part of the U.S. Arab Radio Network, hosted by Layla Al-Husseini. Her radio show, one of the only ones in the country, Arab American Radio Program, runs Monday through Friday from 8 a.m. to 9 a.m. in Detroit. That's 7 to 8 in Chicago, 3 to 4 in Jerusalem, and I think it's 4 to 5 in Dubai, where we have a lot of people already tuning in. Thank you, everybody, for connecting. Our topic today the political fight to name a successor to Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who passed away this week uh, on September 18th. And with me to discuss the dynamics of this, uh, the political dynamics of this debate, and how it might impact the November 3rd general election for president, is Chad Kinsella, a professor of political science at Ball State University. And just a little bio uh, that we put together, I think it's off of his uh, website, he joined the poli department at Ball State in 2016. His teaching focuses on state and local government and public admin. Um, and he has a really good bio, which will be on the website. And, um, you know, Professor, I always wanted to be a professor, but I did lousy in school. I, I thought, okay, being a professor is going to be fun. Welcome to the show, by the way. Thank you for having me. Glad to be here. And I'll, I'll be very honest with you, uh, being a professor was never part of the plan for whatever that was worth. It, uh, I worked in, in a couple of different jobs. I worked for a member of Congress and uh, taught a class and loved it and changed the trajectory of my life. And here I am. So, Which uh, congressional member, if, we, if you don't mind us asking? He's retired now, Jeff Davis. He was in the, the 4th Congressional District in Northern Kentucky. That's, that's, that's where name. I grew up. That's a great name to run for office. Jeff Davis. Simple, very basic. I bet he did very well for a long time. He did. I think he was there for about 10 years and then and then retired. Now, we're broadcasting on Facebook. We're also broadcasting live on several links. And, of course, we are in Detroit. Um, if people want to uh, ask a question, if you're on Facebook, probably the best place to do it. Just type a uh, question, uh, and I'll do my best to monitor it and follow it. Um, and again, we're dealing with technology here, but so far, knock on wood, everything is working out really well. Um, Chad, explain to me, uh, what, why are we having this big debate over filling a vacancy on the Supreme Court of the United States that most Americans don't even think about until a vacancy pops up? Why is it so important? You know, it's kind of interesting, and, and I was actually talking to a colleague about this the other day. Um, 
you know, there was a point in time, and you know, really, if you think about it, like when Ruth Bader Ginsburg was confirmed back in the '90s, um, I think her vote was ninety-three to five, something along those lines. I mean, it was a huge majority in the Senate, and, and it used to be that judges were confirmed. It was, it was simply they would kind of go up there, they you know could answer questions about you know were they qualified to be on the court, and simply they would get voted on. And it wasn't, you know, and the Supreme Court was not seen as being political. Um, it was, you know, the, the idea, and I think it was Judge Alito, when he got confirmed, I remember back to that, it was like, you know, they, they asked him, he says, you know, I just call balls and strikes. You know, it's just like I'm an umpire in baseball. You know, that's kind of the law. I, I look at the Constitution and the law books, and I just call the, you know, the balls and the strikes. And what's happened over time, you know, with, in, with polarization is, um, you know, different judges have different strike zones on, on certain issues. And we now know, you know, better than ever, you know, how they are likely, not guaranteed, likely to, to rule on certain things. So it's become extremely political, especially for the Supreme Court getting someone on there uh, because it could tilt the court in a certain way. And so right now we, we've had for a while a five to four decision in favor of conservatives versus quote unquote the liberal judges and and so this would further you know push that but when uh, we got interrupted by the technical problem i'm not exactly sure what happened but um, I, yeah no i know i was talking about how uh um yeah when ginsburg was first appointed it was a different world and it wasn't as contentious back then as it has been over the past 12 years not just under trump but even under obama there seemed to be a separation and a divide in politics. Now, my theory is that that divide is kind of driven by the media, I think. And I'm not sure what you think but or what you think might be the cause. But I think the media kind of has shoved its way in and people react to the media. We used to be able to get a balance, I thought, from the media. And I've been, I was a journalist for many, many years. Uh, but now we see, like, opinion and reporting merging into like one big mass and uh, I think more and more people get upset on both sides not just conservatives but liberals and the people in the center what do you think is the maybe this divide that what do you think is fueling this anger in this country and when do you think it started well it's definitely we have polarization and it's really interesting a lot of political scientists have been trying to study this and the answers are there's a ton of, of potential quote unquote like bad guys that, that that are you know culprits to all of this, but it's definitely happened. It's it's really interesting. So you know when I teach my classes, it's like you know we talk about you know different things that happen. You know maybe the you know fifty forties, fifties, sixties, and how things worked. You know like the ideological differences between the two parties were you know inches apart, not not miles. Um, you know you had liberal Republicans, you had conservative Democrats, you had the solid South is, was Democratic, um, you know, the entire South. So it, it was just a different world. Um, there's, a, you know, the argument has been is, you know, there was there there was a big push by, you know, voters to want a more clear divide, you know, you know, make it more clear what we're voting for. Um, but has the politics, but the politics really hasn't changed. I mean, you know, conservatives are still conservative. Liberals are still liberal. The issues are exactly the same. Gun control hasn't changed. Abortion hasn't changed. Uh, we do have a president that has never had the experience 
you know, of a politician in the past with a very controversial background. Uh, but even with that, you'd think, okay, it's an election, it's four years, um, but the anger has kind of override, it seems to override everything. And I think it shows up, doesn't it, in this debate for uh, the successor, to nominate a successor to Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Four years ago, didn't the Democrats say, we have to be able to appoint somebody immediately, and the Republicans said, no, we're going to stop you. And now the tables have reversed. That's politics, right? I would, yeah, I would absolutely say it's politics. And, you know, and I know there's some, there's some people, uh, you know, I have a lot of friends, liberals and Democrats, who are like, oh, this is hypocrisy and everything else. It's, it's, it's politics. Politics is, you know, the art of, you know, right. you know possible. So at that point in time, when President Obama, you know, uh, nominated Merrick Garland, Republicans had the majority. Why wouldn't they block, a, a, you know, his Supreme Court nominee to place Anton Scalia, um, you know, at that point in time? And, you know, they still have a majority. Why wouldn't they put someone on the Supreme Court? And, you know, I know that kind of gets coarse and ugly, but like you said, I, I would definitely agree. That's politics. Um, it's, it's all about what you can do. Uh, not what you can't, and, and you can be angry about it, but that's that's kind of the reality. One of our uh, listeners, uh, Mike McGrath, was saying that, uh, you know, this all began, it kind of started with the uh, Bork appointment, and the experience which defined the term being Borked came before Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Um, I still think, though, honestly, that it's politics of course the Democrats are going to flip. Obama said, absolutely, I have a right to appoint him now. You know, they have to do it. I saw Clinton, Hillary Clinton, Bill Clinton, Schumer. Everybody said, no, the president has a right. We got to get it through. That was four years ago. Um, and now they've flipped. And the Republicans back then said, no, we need to wait till the next president. Um, and uh, now they're saying, no, we don't want to wait for the next president or the election. we got to go forward. But the only thing, in my opinion, that's changed is the media. The media, I was watching CNN the other day, and they seem to focus on the fact that Republicans said that, uh, oh, well, you can remind me, I think it was McConnell who said, listen, uh, if this happens again in the future, you can remind me that I am against rushing through a appointment to the Supreme Court, and uh, you can bring that up during the election. Politicians lie. That's what they do. That's what politics is about. They don't tell the truth. Who really thinks a politician is telling the truth during an election? Yeah, no, I mean, that's true. And, you know, when you think back to Bork, there, there was that. But, and it's kind of interesting, um, you know, one of the things that's happened with the media as well, you could, you could definitely argue, is that, you know, with the courts, especially the Supreme Court, most of their decisions really are not controversial. You know, there's a lot of seven to one, or I'm sorry, right. seven to two, eight to one, nine zero, you know, on tax law and stuff. But, you know, on those controversial issues that get us all, you know, inflamed and angry, you know, that's where the media pays attention. That's what we talk about. So, I mean, if you were to ask most people, it's like, oh, the Supreme Court is always split. It's, it's actually, you know, very few cases they're actually split. It's, it's just those those, you know, those culture war issues, those, you know, very hot button political ones. And then, you know, the media, you know, if it, if it bleeds, it leads type of deal. It's, if it's interesting and you can cause people to get angry and, and, you know, read, listen or whatever, or watch the news, they're going to go for it. And, and so it, it, it provides this whole idea that, you know, the, the court is deeply divided when they're only divided on, on some issues. And do you know anything about, I know what President Trump has said he's going to, I mean, the one thing he has said, 
which I think politically is smart on his part, is going to nominate a woman. And he came up with five uh, women names. Um, and, of course, that's not enough. He might as well just appoint whoever he wants because uh, in today's political world, it doesn't matter what he does. The Democrats are going to be against him. The Republicans are going to be against the Democrats. Um, but do we know anything about this nominee that looks like she's surfacing as the main runner, uh, Amy Coney, Coney Barrett? Do you know anything about her at all? Just a couple of things. She's uh, being I'm in Indiana, so she's a Notre Dame law school grad. I think she that's does. a good thing, isn't it? Yes, I, you know, you know, it's just, you've got the Catholic vote is always split. You know, so when we're thinking about like voters, Catholic vote is always you know very split. Um, woman, obviously, I think she has seven or nine children, so she has a lot of kids. Um, you know, a very successful judge has kind of moved her way up. Uh, the, the I can't remember if she's on the appeals or district court, but has kind of moved her way up. Um, she's a Catholic and she's from the Midwest, so it kind of, she checks several boxes when you think about you know some some key constituencies, um, women, Midwestern Catholic, you know it, it, some key things there, and and you know by all accounts seems to be very conservative. Yeah, and I and listen, I'm sure it irks the Democrats that uh, this is happening under Trump's term, a guy they really don't like. Um, he used to be a Democrat, by the way. Trump was a Democrat. He kind of flipped over to the whatever party would embrace him. I mean, it's not like he has political principles. Um, he's made some really crazy decisions. I don't agree with everything that he does. Um, but I get my focus has been drawn away by the role of the news media and the fact that they just don't seem fair. And I'm telling you that I think Trump is going to benefit from uh, one of the big issues. It's not going to be the politics. I don't even think that his appointment to the Supreme Court is going to be a deciding election factor. Do you, maybe let's start there. Do you think what he does is going to have a direct impact on his election? I don't think so. I mean, it, it might to a degree. But I mean, if you really look at the polls right now, ironically, so I have a friend in Kentucky who was sending me some polling data and it was really interesting to look at and it was on President Trump and it was on uh, uh, Senator McConnell. And, you know, people there, 90% plus of people at this point in time have, they, they said they're not changing their mind. Right. So there are very, very few people. And I'm not sure that this will be the, the issue that, that will make or break that, that 10% that, or less that's out there. Um, you know, Republicans or anybody that already supports the president are going to be happy about this. Democrats are obviously going to be mad. Um, I don't, you know, they'll, they'll all have their talking points and, and it will be, you know, if they're depending on how they feel on it, but I don't think that it will, it will change or sway any minds. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I, I don't think that, I think it feeds the emotions that people already have and the positions they have. If you hate the guy, this is another reason why you hate him. If you love the guy, there's another reason why you love him. Um, but uh, I think, though, that a lot of the issues, I think there is one issue, and, I, and maybe we can talk about this, too, in addition to the Supreme Court. The one issue that I think is a factor that is, that I think is helping Trump is this fear among a lot of the country that defunding the police um, this wave of, uh, this tendency to say that uh, crime that's come as a, uh, in the shadow of the uh, George Floyd 
Black Lives Matter protest. Um, there has been looting. There has been arson. There has been violence. It's not all of them. The Black Lives Matter movement has a legitimate issue about wanting to fight uh, racism, which is a real problem in this country. Um, but there has been this segment of violence that's popped up in these protests. And to many people, it doesn't seem like the Black Lives Matter leaders have or supporters have done enough to denounce it and speak against it. And I think that is chasing a lot of the conservative Democrats who are going to go to Biden back to Trump because that crime issue is probably the most influential factor in this election, I think. I would, you know, there's, it's really interesting. So some things have been going on and, and actually so I've talked to a couple of friends and it's like, we, I would really love to see some polling numbers, but I'm pretty sure those internal polls are showing something because you can see, you know, there's been some movement by Biden. You can see President Trump's movement on those, you know, he had some commercials about it. <clears throat> so I don't, it, you know, I'm sure it's not popular. And, and my guess is also that, you know, suburbanites, you know, this key constituency that's out there that that's going to, you know, could make or break the entire election. Um, you know, I don't think that's going to play well, you know, this, this idea of, you know, disorder and, you know, lawlessness and, and things like that. And, you know, that, that seems, you know, very concerning. Um, so, you know, I would, I would definitely agree. That's, that's going to continue to play, uh, be, a, a, I think, a big factor in this and, election. And I think every time it happens, it, um, it seems like it would give the, the president a bump. And we could ask our Facebook uh, followers that are on there. We got a lot of people on there. What you think? What's the big issue for you? Is it really? Is the uh, uh, appointment of a successor to uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who is a phenomenal justice, uh, as every on both sides, I think, agreed she she was very fair. You didn't have to agree with the issues that she supported or uh, all of her rulings, but she seemed like a very smart person. Um, but uh, for all you people on Facebook, if you want to tell us, is what's the big issue? What's the one issue that you think is driving the election? Um, and then uh, maybe Chad Kinsella, my guest, um, who, by the way, is a professor of political science from Ball State University. Uh, Chad, do you have a website, too, where if people wanted to get more information about you? Or do you write political opinions? I mean, doesn't everybody now uh, have a political opinion? You're on Facebook, the Internet. You can say whatever. You We're all Mike Royko's. We're all Tom yeah. Friedman's, right? I, I I have actually tried to steer away from that and, and try to take a yeah no I've, I well I, I when I teach I, I I teach a lot of students and I, I think it's important in my opinion speaking of opinions it's like you know to try to to not have to you know be one sided um, and just you know provide them information and and you know provide them the information so that they can make their own informed decisions uh, when they're ready you know to to do that so. I, I don't have a Facebook, and I, I'm, I need to set up a Twitter, and I'm working on it. <laughs> we don't. We, started, we yeah, do not I, have I a. <laughs> we do not have a time spot for somebody who's in the middle and is fair like you. Okay, you will not make it to CNN or Fox News being a nice guy. I just want you to know that <laughs> all the the media they're looking for screamers, and it's yes. easy to be a screamer in today's world on the internet. Uh, it's easy to go to an extreme uh, with today's world. 
Um, by the way, Mike McGrath, and thank you for this, Mike. Uh, that was Lindsey Graham that was saying that, not Mitch McConnell, who said, yeah, you can elect me, uh, or you could uh, throw that in my face in the next election if I flip, which he they did flip, basically. But um, I think that's interesting. This is Ray, and let, let me give us a plug. Normally, we would have had another. Let, you know what, Mike, let's do our uh, 7.30 break, uh, 8.30 break uh, Detroit time right now in a few seconds. Um, and let me reintroduce the show. This is the Arab Street Radio. I'm Ray Hanania. It is Wednesday, September 23rd. Uh, I'm the special U.S. correspondent for the Arab News newspaper, which is based in Saudi Arabia and Dubai, but has offices in, and, distri- and additions uh, in Japan, actually in Japanese, uh, in Pakistan, in Urdu, in the Urdu language, in France, in French. I'd love to see my columns translated into French and uh, Urdu and Japanese. That's the neatest thing I've ever seen. And Arabic, too. Um, And we have bureaus in London, New York, and Chicago, where I'm based. The Arab Street Radio and Podcast is part of the U.S. Arab Radio Network, hosted by Leila El-Husseini, an Arab-American journalist, uh, a Syrian Arab-American journalist, who uh, set up this radio system. It's the only weekly radio program for the Arab American community uh, in the United States. There are more than almost 5 million Arab Americans, um, not according to the U.S. Census because we're kind of excluded, and 7.5 million Muslims, the majority of whom are non-Arab, by the way, but um, that's who we are, and we are a vote, and we've been, uh, uh, you know, a uh, factor in uh, deciding elections. Uh, According to the New York Times, there were 25 districts that have large Arab-American voting populations. Uh, only two of them have elected Arab-Americans. That's uh, uh, Ilhan Omar's district in Minnesota and Rashida Tlaib, uh, her district in Michigan. So this program is brought to you by the Arab News, and we're going to be here every Wednesday morning, uh, Detroit time from 8 to 9 a.m., talking about the November 3rd elections, and we'll go through the November 3rd elections. With me on the line, uh, on Zoom, and uh, with us uh, on the radio is Chad Kinsella, a professor of political science at Ball State University. So we can talk about maybe a few other issues uh, uh, coming up, but right now let's take our uh, break, um, and uh, we will continue the show. I'm Ray Hanania. We'll be right back right after these messages. And welcome back to the Arab Street Radio. I'm Ray Hanania. It is Wednesday, September 23rd. This is a special edition of the hosted by the Arab News newspaper on American politics. We're going to be doing this every Wednesday um, from 8 to 9 a.m. in Detroit, 7 a.m. in Chicago, 3 p.m. in Jerusalem, uh, 4 p.m. in Dubai. Um, and uh, we're going to be talking about elections. Right now, our guest on the line kind of talking with us in a, in a very general way about the impact of the Ruth, Gator, Ruth Bader Ginsburg um, vacancy and the impact it'll have on the uh, election November 3rd um, is our guest, uh, Chad Kinsella. He's a political science professor of, uh, from uh, Ball State University. Um, so I think we're agreed, Chad, that this is, everybody's pretty much decided. Don't you think that in the election, or do you think there is some sway? 
You know, I'm, I think there's maybe a very small number of people out there, anywhere from five to ten percent, maybe a little bit more in different areas and different states. But overall, I think most people have probably made up their mind already. Um, and I, I'm not sure that the, the Supreme Court, anything that happens here, will will uh, you know? I don't think it will really turn anyone. Do you, Do you um, think that what What do you think are the big issues in this election for president? What would you say are the big issues? Probably number uh, the COVID um, response, and you know that's that's you know that's something we're still going through, and is going to weigh heavily. Um, you know, and I, that's one of the things President Trump, I think, is wanting to kind of turn people's, you know, uh, you know turn people away from, and, and kind of have them forget he, he's not, you know, whether real or perceived. You know, he's it, it's the argument has been, and, and public opinion polls have shown he hasn't that the people are not real pleased with his response to that, uh, to this, to this virus that, that's hit. So I think COVID is going to be up there. Um, I think the whole, all of the things surrounding Black Lives Matter will be really important from systemic racism to, you know, the, the protests and, and especially the violence that has unfortunately accompanied that, but it, it has been a, a big part of that. Um, you know, I think those are going to, those are some of the things that are going to, going to play. And I think it's kind of interesting with elections. We're, there's a lot of time left, really. You know, it doesn't seem like it, but it's like anything could happen, yeah. uh, you know, that, that could really, um, you know, October surprise. We already had a September surprise with Bob Woodward's releases about talking with the president. So uh, there's there's still a lot of play. This, this stuff like that uh, Woodward has been uh, publishing doesn't seem to have an impact. I mean, it, it does fuel the anger, but and, and it fuels the anger on Trump's side in a different way. It rallies them, you know. I I haven't seen a de, 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 uh, decisive uh, factor to influence this race, other than in my opinion, uh, for the Trump supporters who were Democrats who supported him, because he did get a lot of support from. Uh, I don't like the way they were thrown off as the you know deplorables, you know, by uh, Hillary. That kind of offended me. There seemed to be an arrogance with her that I think cost her the election. Um, but she did get, and this is interesting in the last election, and I wonder if you think we're going to see this again. She did get three million more votes than Trump because we don't elect people on the basis of majority votes. We elected on the basis of uh, delegates representing each state. So you could win New York with 100% of the vote and still get the same number of delegates, but that vote will boost up your total and make it look like, wow, you know, you got more than someone else. I think um, Biden is actually going to get 4 million more votes than Trump, but I still think he's going to lose the election. Is that possible, or do you think Trump is dead in the water in terms of re-election? Are you able to take a position on where you think we're headed, or is it too close? Well, I'll tell you very honestly, in 2016, I was absolutely dead wrong on my prediction. Um, I, but, but I would agree with you. And again, we have an electoral college. It doesn't matter if you like it or don't. It is rooted in the U.S. Constitution, and it is about winning states. Um, and I would say in 2016, there was a great article written um, by, by another political scientist. And it was really interesting because essentially it was saying it's like, California really threw off the, the popular vote. It's like it really, if you took the 49 states outside of California, it all added up, 
you know, about right. But but California swayed so far for, for Clinton in 2016 that it, it tipped the popular vote. However, as you know, it's like, you know, he, he won very easily the, the um, electoral vote. And again, what happened, you know, New York, um, California, and a couple other states, uh, you know, where Hillary Clinton won, she really ran up the score. Right. Some of the states that Trump won, including Michigan, you know, were razor thin. So it just, it, you know, so it, it kind of tipped that, it, you know, the, the popular vote and electoral vote didn't really match in that instance. Um, and that, that's happened a couple times in U.S. history, probably most famously in 2000. So, yeah, it's absolutely possible that, and again, when I teach this in my class, it's like it's about winning states. It doesn't matter how many votes you get in the in the you know national election. It's an interesting footnote and, in history. But it's all about winning states. And, and maybe that's why the polling in 2016 was so wrong because they were actually tracking the opinions of uh, voters that they interviewed, and that uh, assessment didn't really reflect the system that we elect the president on. They they probably should have apportioned it out by state and did surveys, which would be very expensive and complicated to do. But I think that's happening again. I think that Hillary or uh, Biden and the Clintons, you know, they're one big group. They have a strong base in certain big cities and democratic states. And those, I'm in Illinois, I'm in a blue state. Uh, you know, I, and it's been very contentious here in Illinois. If you are not 100% for Clinton or Biden, people are really angry with you. So, but uh, I think the polling again is suggesting Biden is going to win, but I think it's misleading because it doesn't reflect the state system, the delegate system. Polling has had a rough time, you know, basically from the advent of the cell phone. Um, it used to be where everyone had, um, you know, landlines you could get, it was fairly easy to get a, a you know, a true representative sample of the U.S. population. So that's become, a, that's something that the polling is always working on. They have weighting and some other things to throw in there. Be, you know, be very careful looking at national polls because you're right. He's not running for president. He's, it, the United States altogether doesn't elect the president. Right. It's those individual states. There is state polling. There's a lot of it out there and you can find it. Some of it's better than others. There's a couple of, of really good polling houses that do a really good job. Um, and I think what happened in 2016, the, the actually national polling was absolutely accurate, but some of the state polling was a little bit off. So like you said, it, it's, and you know, there's, there's still, I think some things we'll, we'll see, you know, there, there'll be some interesting things moving as, as the states, um, you know, that, that maybe about 10%, you know, that, that are still swayable. It's really interesting to see what happens to them. And for a lot of those states that are razor thin in the margins, you know, it could, it could have, you know, just a couple of, of, of people, a couple percentage point movement could sway the whole election. Yeah, it seems like the better way to do polling would be to focus on a state. Some of the yeah, uh, swing states, the battleground states, Michigan is one, uh, Ohio, Florida. Um, we could probably pick out the five states that are going to decide the election because you know where everyone else is going to go pretty much, right? You know, pretty Illinois much. is going to go for Biden. I don't think there's a debate about that. Did, and, but, um, and I, I think that Michigan is going to be a decisive state. And, but we, it still comes down to there was such an overwhelming number of delegates that uh, Trump won over Clinton. 
I'm not even sure just a few of those uh, swing states are going to be enough uh, unless Biden takes a lot of these other states that have, uh, you know, uh, voted for Republicans. Uh, it, it seems like he actually has an uphill fight to win this. When you don't look at the popular vote, when you don't look at the news media, and you just look at the states, he has a lot of territory that he has to cover to win. Yeah, he he does, and so uh, President Trump um, did win, a, you know, a, a large number of electoral votes, and so you know, you're, the, his work is cut out. He's got to pick off, you know, Pennsylvania, a Michigan, uh, you know, maybe in Arizona, um, you know, some other you know state in in, in order to win. So it's it's going to be close. And, and you're right. Also, it's kind of interesting how battleground states have changed. It's like, you know. Virginia used to be the used to be a very Republican state, then a battleground state. It's like, and I was reading something. It's like they no longer get any visitors. Nobody comes because it's, right. it's a blue state. It's right. done. Right. That's interesting. Uh, we're on the line with uh, Chad Kinsella. He's a professor of political science at Ball State University. I'm Ray Anania at this special election edition radio show at WNZK AM 690 Radio um, hosted by the Arab News newspaper. We're going to be doing this every Wednesday. Uh, and I have a feeling that uh, this election is not going to be decided because there are other new factors that are really mucking everything up. Um, this uh, People are confused about voting by mail. And voting by mail means that votes, I think, you know, I'm hearing all kinds of stuff. There's no consistency if you vote by mail, your vote will be counted two days, three days after the election. How are we going to call election uh, a winner on election night? It's not going to be possible. Do you think someone's going to be announced? Unless it's really decisive. I I think this this election, because of COVID, because of mail-in, I don't think, I, you know, in, in the past, it's, you know, we've had on campus parties election night parties and you know they've gone late into the night and they're a lot of fun i don't think you know obviously we can't have that party because we can't have everybody together in, in one space but you know it's, it's just you know <clears throat> i won't be able to sit in front of my tv and watch the election returns like i, I would in a normal every, every other election ever since i've been watching politics um i think we're going to find out gradually you know over at least a week and you're right you know um, i've talked to some of my county clerks here in indiana and i, and I think this is going to be the same everywhere um, you know, there are instances it might take, you know, someone, you know, within your own county, it might take a week to, to send it from one point, you know, because it's got to go to the distribution center in Fort Wayne and then come back to, you know, whatever county you're in. And it's, it's going to take, and you know, there's going to be a lot of legal arguments, like how long we should we wait until, you know, um, you know, those election returns come in. And, uh, you know, there's, there's been a lot of talk to get Indiana, they're going to wait up to like a week. So, you know, and, and this could sway some of those close elections. So, yeah, I don't think we're going to have a definitive outcome. I would be shocked, I'll put it this way, that if we gonna, have a definitive outcome on election night. That's going to rip the country apart. I, I'm really forced. That's why when I set this up with the Arab News newspaper, they said, when's the election? I, they, I said November 3rd. But believe me, that November 3rd date is going to be meaningless. We need to make sure we have a few shows after November 3rd because uh, no one is going to decide anything. Um, both sides are going to rip this apart uh, in the court system. Um, I'm not sure that we'll have to rely on the uh, 
U.S. Supreme Court to make the decision like they did when uh, George uh, Bush uh, beat, uh, what's his name? You know the losers, you just never remember. Oh boy, them. Yeah, no, it's already Al Gore. Al Gore is a nice guy, okay? I mean, let's face it, he did invent the internet, and thankfully, uh, the internet is what's saving us from the coronavirus. Um, but, uh, and by the way, how is the coronavirus at Ball State University? How is the campus? Are students actually at the campus? Uh, my son is at, uh, at a uh, campus uh, in Illinois. Um, and but there are a lot of campuses that have shut down and everything is online. How is it over at Ball State, by the way? We have a split. We have uh, some. We have some professors who are um, older or have maybe pre-existing conditions where you know it, it would you know not be safe for them as well as students. So there are online classes and there are in-person classes. I'm I'm teaching in person. Uh, everybody, it's it's required to wear a mask and. Uh, we had kind of an uptick when when schools, you know, classes started, and you know, there was a lot of testing. So far, it's it's gone down, and we seem to be doing well. I've, I've classes have gone well, and and I've been, you know, I'm, I'm happy to be back in the classroom. All right, we're going to take another break, our final break for the uh, radio show. And when we come back, we will talk uh, more about the November third general election, the impact of the Supreme Court uh, vacancy on that election. Uh, the various factors. If you have a question, if you want to post it on Facebook, you can give a shout out to uh, follow, followers, American and Arab. Steve Newhouse, great to see you on Facebook. Sammy Mohammed, Bashara Krunfil, a relative, of course. I got a lot. The nice thing about being Arab is we have thousands in our greater family connections. So we're all connected. So it's uh, it, it helps with the base. Uh, Mike McGrath has made some great points during the show. Uh, Sonia, Paul Schoenwetter is watching also. Um, so thank you all. Uh, for Omar Judah uh, and uh, Brian Sword, uh, great guy, by the way, we're there. Layla Hosseini and Ken Marini. And uh, I could go through this whole list. David Hirsch, Cindy Marie, thank you all for watching. We're going to take a quick break here at the uh, Arab Street Radio. It is Wednesday, September 23rd, 2020. I'm Ray Hanania, your host, special U.S. correspondent for the Arab News Newspaper. The special election edition show is brought to you by the Arab News Newspaper. Their website is arabnews.com, the Middle East leading English language print newspaper with editions in Saudi Arabia, Dubai, Japan, Pakistan, France, which hopefully one day I think I'm going to move there and write from France since they now translate my column, and bureaus in London, New York, and Chicago. Again, our guest is uh, Chad Kinsella from Ball State University. He's a professor of political science. We're going to be right back right after these messages. All right, we're on the final uh, uh, corner here of uh, our uh, radio show, the Arab Street Radio and Podcast um, we're broadcast from Detroit, Michigan through 690 AM WNZK radio. And I know it's hard to believe that Arabs only have one major radio station in Detroit um, Monday through Friday. Thanks to Layla El Husseini, a Syrian-American Arab uh, journalist uh, who has been uh, fighting to give Arab Americans a voice in journalism for, I don't know, 15 years. Um, and it is a struggle because we have all these issues people don't like us because first of all we're very bad at communicating you know it's only recently that uh, I think I was the first journalist actually uh, of Palestinian heritage to actually break into the big time when I got hired by the uh, Sun Times to cover Chicago 
City Hall, uh, and I covered mayor to mayor, Richard J. Daly to Richard M. Daly, uh, and that was a lot of fun. But the Middle East is an area where our voices are only starting to come out as journalists, and in today's world, it's not even about journalism anymore. It's more about opinion. Everybody has an opinion. You, uh, it doesn't matter. You know what? I watch TV, and I see surgeons do heart surgery. Yeah, it looks easy. I could do that. I've seen it on TV a couple times. I can cut somebody open, pick their heart up, glue, super glue a couple aortas and blood vessels together. Yeah, I could do that. That's the same attitude about journalism. People see somebody talking, they go, hey. I could talk. I could be on TV. The internet gives us that base. And it's caused, I think, a lot of confusion around in the country, especially in politics. And the media, I think, trying to react to the changes to survive because the income levels for journalists have dropped. The revenue has dropped. The economy for journalism has really been uh, in crisis now for the past decade. They're struggling, so they tend to pander to opinions and views rather than to stick with what they're supposed to do, provide a balanced reporting. I don't think it's right for a journalist to say, you're lying, Mr. President. I think it's the journalist's job to ask the question, get the story, and then have an op-ed writer say, hey, he's lying, in my opinion, because the observation that he's lying is is oftentimes just an opinion. So we have this blur, this fog overseeing this election, and now we have coronavirus. Um, you got to admit, Chad, these are interesting times for people interested in politics, right? Does it make it harder for you to be a political science professor when you talk to students? Do they come in there already geared up for a battle, like they know where they're going to go, left or right or center? Sometimes. Um, I've definitely had classes where, you know, and I remember there was one in 2016, there was a, a girl in the class who was adamantly against President Trump and a guy in there who was adamantly for that. And they, they would ask questions to me. To provoke and, each other, right? To provoke, to provoke each, other. each other. I was constantly, if it was uh, speaking of... You were the ref. They diffused bombs. And I was, I think I was trying to, that was my job that semester. So it happens, and I, I know there's a lot of my students who already have, you know, an, you know, an opinion form. But I think they, you know, they've got a long way to go. You know, I know many of them. They'll, 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 you know, as you get older and you have to get a job and all those things. Um, you know, all, you know, have a family, pay taxes, own own a house, all these things. You know, that will, ha you know, their, you know, opinions and and things will change. The groups they hang around, where they live. So, you know, I'm trying to, my goal is to try to provide them information, give them some, some stuff so they can, as they move through life, make informed decisions, I hope. So, and of course, you've only been a professor since 2016, and, and not to be critical, but to say that uh, it, it's, when I was in college, there, it was, I don't know, we, we did have debates and discussions. They were never this intense. And the, you know, the idea that two students could go at it, I mean, in one way, it's good, you know, because, you know, the passion should be there. But sometimes passion becomes uh, extreme emotion. And, and then it just, and we're not listening anymore. I, at least I used to listen to the critics before. Now, I don't know. I don't think people are actually listening anymore. 
no, there's a, there's a big problem with that. And there's actually been some political scientists, you know, you know, we, we don't, we're not listening to the other side. Um, we're not having, you know, a, a robust discussion anymore. It's, it's a screaming match um, and, you know, accusations and, and everything like that. So it, it's, it's um, we're definitely in a very polarized place, unfortunately, within um, society. And it's, it's been very difficult to have those, those conversations. Well, we only have a few minutes left, so give us uh, what you think are some of the things that we should watch out for, uh, the uh, the most important factors that are pop up in the election. Uh, um, what do you think we should be looking out for to kind of as we navigate this this upcoming election coming up? A couple of things I would look to, you know, look to the battleground states. I would look to your Michigans, your Arizonas, your North Carolinas. Um, I, and, you know, in Florida, I would probably watch those, those four. Also, I would throw Pennsylvania in there. Um, watch those states. The national polling is, is going to be, you know, interesting, but, but not really truly tell us, you know, what, what's actually going on. So, you know, watch some of these very key battleground states. Watch what's happening with those. You know, watch, you know, what's going on in the news, what's, what's important to people. Um, it could change at any moment, you know, with one news cycle. Uh, we'll do the whole thing. Um, with the Supreme Court, I think, you know, it's going to be wrapped up, you know, a lot sooner than later. I, uh, Senator McConnell, um, he's had two GOP defections. All he needs really is 51. And if you really think about it, given that the vice president can vote if there's a tie, um, you know, he could jump in. So really all he needs is 50 votes. He's got, I think, 51 at this point. So I, I don't think that's going to change. And I think you're, you're going to have whoever President Trump nominates unless – unless some sort of unforeseen disaster unfolds in the hearings, um, I think, you know, it's going to be confirmed and it'll be done and over with, uh, I think, you know, before the election. Um, so it's going to be interesting. And I think the other final interesting thing is, you know, with the coronavirus, um, with the mail-in ballots, I, you know, we're, you're not going to have your election nights. You know, there'll be a lot of places where things will be decided. But I think, you know, some of those key battleground states, especially if it's, if it's really tight, you know, we may not know, you know, have a victor in, in many congressional, even U.S. Senate and even the presidency until, you know, days to maybe even a week um, after, um, you know, afterwards uh, because of all that. So those are just a couple of things I would I would say watch out for, you know, as we move forward. And don't be surprised if uh, Biden loses the election uh, but wins the popular vote the way Hillary Clinton uh, lost the election in 2016 and won the popular vote because of our delegate system. I hope that delegate uh, uh, system doesn't change because it gives the uh, each state at least an equal footing, you know, and voice in the election process. If we were to go to popular vote, there'd be five states, maybe six states that would pretty much decide the election. You know, I mean, some of these big states would pretty much swing it whatever way and then we would find that uh, a lot of these states would be meaningless some of the ones in middle america yeah and real quick it's kind of interesting you know the seven states that currently only have three electoral votes you know it's you know they have with the electoral system they you know they have what is it i think i did it, it was like six million people and they have one more electoral vote than pennsylvania who has 21 million people i think and my numbers may be a little bit off um, on the the state populations but you know, it, you know, some of those states play, a, a, you know, more of a role. And, you know, I always tell my students in 2008, President Obama stopped in Butte, Montana. If you have a, 
of you know a popular vote, nobody's going to beat Montana ever right. again. To- those, <laughs> those little uh, uh, breakfast nooks in uh, the middle of the country, they're not going to be big stories anymore. They'll be at Times Square. They'll be at downtown Chicago. Uh, um, so it is going to change. And unfortunately, I don't think it's going to get nicer. People are not going to be nice. Uh, this election is probably going to be one of the ugliest elections again, maybe worse than we've seen in the past. And I, and I don't think it's fair to blame it on the candidates. I think our system is changing, but uh, maybe that's for another topic. I want to thank our guest, uh, Chad Kinsella. Chad, thank you so much for joining us from Ball State University. Um, I hope to have you on again maybe after the election, talking about what happened. We can look back at it. If there is a final date for what after election means. I'm not quite sure when that's going to be. could be like the middle of November or it could be even early December, uh, the way things are going. Sooner rather than later, but we'll see. And it was an honor and a pleasure, and thank you for having me. And did you have a website you wanted to promote or plug uh, before we let you go? We have a department website. If you look up all state political science, I'm, I'm there, and I've you know I've got a little bit of information there. And, and, and this this needs to to push me forward to, to try to do a little bit more. Uh, you know, you're doing good. Promotion. <laughs> I don't want to push into the uh, muck and the darkness of the internet, okay? Because there are too many people there already. I'm Ray Hanania. Again, thank you everybody for watching on Facebook for listening online, for listening on WMCK, WNZK AM 690 Radio. We appreciate it. We'll be back again this coming Wednesday, again, 8 a.m. in Detroit, 7 a.m. in Chicago, for another discussion about the upcoming election uh, hosted by and brought to you by the Arab News newspaper at ArabNews.com. My personal website is Hanania.com. Talk to you later, Chad. Thank you again. I appreciate it, buddy. Have a good day. All right, bye, everybody.